You are listening to audio from Redeemer Church in Odessa, Texas. You can connect with us online by visiting RedeemerChurchOdessa.org. Good morning, my name is Erin Wright, and I'm part of the McLean Community Group. Today we're going to be reading from Jonah, chapter 1, verses 1 through 6. We use the English Standard Version, the ESV, if you're on one of your devices. So Jonah, chapter 1, verses 1 through 6. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went on board to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God, and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. All right. Uh, Good morning. My name's Tanner House. I'm the lead pastor here. It's good to be with you. If you're a guest, you can take a minute and fill the connect card out that's under your chair, or you can scan a QR code. We'd love an opportunity to connect with you to uh, see how we can plug you into the life of the body. Um, If you need a Bible, you can raise your hand. Levi will bring you one, and if you're on your phone or your tablet, we use the ESV, and for some reason, I cannot get my... There we go. All right. Takes a minute. Some of these smaller Old Testament books, you know. Um, Hey, a couple of housekeeping things. Uh, This is the first time I've been up here in four weeks, so... Number one, thank you for the, for the break. I've been calling it a mini preaching sabbatical, and it was much needed. I feel rested, and I'm excited to jump back in with you. So we're going to start a new series in the Old Testament minor prophet book of, of Jonah. Uh, the book of Jonah may be familiar for many of you. However, we need to understand its meaning in our life apart from some more of the incredible elements of, in this story. So the invitation for all of us over the next few weeks is just to not check out on this wonderful book that has just so much to say about faith in the God of the universe and the seriousness of sin. I mean, most of us know this story. Uh, I was talking to an unbelieving friend this week, and he asked me, he said, what are you preaching on this week? And I said, we're starting a series in Jonah. And he was like, oh yeah, and the well swallowed him. So the story's familiar whether you're like lifelong churchgoer or not. Like it's in literature. Herman Melville talks about it in the book Moby Dick. that He's pulling stuff out of, of, of the bi- biblical narrative of Jonah. There is a lot more going on here for us than just the well, okay, or the giant fish. Um, we need to sit with that over the next five weeks, that there's just a lot to this story. 
So before we jump in, though, a few facts about Jonah the person. He was a prophet. In the Old Testament, prophets were messengers of God. They served as an intermediary between God and the nation of Israel or other nations like we're going to see in Jonah's story. God would speak to them and then they would speak to the people what God had instructed them to say. We really don't know a lot about Jonah otherwise. He's mentioned one other place in the Old Testament. If you go back to 2 Kings 14.25, the verse says, He restored, he being the king, Jeroboam, he restored the border of Israel from Labo Hamath as far as the Sea of Arabah, according to the word of the Lord, the God of Israel, which he spoke by his servant, Jonah, the son of Amittai, the prophet, who was from Gath-Hefer. If you read 2 Kings, you see this king, Jeroboam II, he's mentioned. He's an evil king in the sight of God in Israel. He reigned in the 8th century B.C., so about 800 to 1,000 years before Christ was born, roughly. And during his reign, the king Jeroboam was able to secure Israel's borders that had been weakened by past conflicts with this group of people known as the Assyrians. And this, according to 2 Kings 14, prevented Israel from being wiped out as a people. So the Assyrians were enemies of Israel. They oppressed Israel. And that's going to be an important element to the story in the coming weeks. So for you history people in here, uh, maybe it's just me, but I love these historical facts. Someday maybe I'll go on Jeopardy and win some money. LOL, I don't know. Uh, Here's some goings-on. Here's some facts about the goings-on in the world that are important for us as as we walk through Jonah. So prior to the reign of this king, Jeroboam II, the the Assyrian kingdom, the Assyrian nation, experienced a tremendous amount of growth and prosperity. But approximately 100 years or so before the ministry of Jonah, coinciding with the reign of Jeroboam II, the Assyrian kingdom began to crumble as the provincial governors became power-hungry. They had a revolt like a civil war, and the kingdom, though it continued, it never really fully recovered and regained its prominence as a national world superpower. Uh, These internal conflicts really weakened the kingdom. And these conflicts never really seemed to go away until the Assyrian nation was conquered by someone else. They would have these strong kings, they would have these weaker kings, but the rivalry for the throne always seemed to be present. And so it just weakened the nation. Previous to the time when Jonah was the prophet... The Assyrians were bent on geographical and political expansion all across the world. And they were powerful. And they were ruthless. And they would conquer any nation around them that stood in their way, including Israel. So the land in which Jonah is commanded to go to is the same nation that is responsible for the destruction of his homeland. So there's some history for for you history buffs. But beyond that, beyond all that Bible fact stuff, my hope for us as a church is that Jonah will just be really timely for us 
and that we would be pushed in our understanding of repentance and pushed in our understanding of mission. This book is also going to cause us to wrestle with the goodness of God in light of evil in this world. This book is a beautiful picture of the meta-narrative of Scripture. The whole Bible from Genesis to Revelation is not a collection of writings. It's not a book of disjointed stories, but rather it is one story. The story of God who created everything good and perfect and man sinned and messed everything up. And Christ came to redeem us through his death and resurrection. And Christ has ascended And one day he will return and restore and make all things new and right again. And he will do all of this for his glory. So the book of Jonah is pointing us towards the redemptive work of Jesus on the cross and Christ's resurrection as we're going to see. Ultimately, I pray that we would see Christ in this ancient text. In Matthew 12, Jesus is approached by a group of Pharisees and some other people, and they're wanting more from Jesus. They're wanting to see more. They're claiming that they would believe in Christ as the Messiah if Jesus would just do more signs, do more wonders. But keeping in mind this thing, the context of Matthew 12, Jesus has just healed a blind, mute, deaf man who was possessed by a demon. And these Pharisees, they still demand more. Look at what Matthew 12, 38 and 39 say. It says, Then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered him, saying, Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. But he answered them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. So before we hop in, It's important to remember that all of the scriptures point to the person and work of Jesus. So while there are many things to learn and apply, first and foremost, Jesus is highlighting for us that the book of Jonah is a shadow of his coming death and his resurrection. And therefore, faith and repentance are necessary for salvation. So may this awesome story, this awesome text, lead us to more worship and devotion to Jesus. So this morning, I just want to set the scene for the next few weeks. But before we jump in, let's, let's pray and, and ask the Lord to, to guide us this morning. Lord Jesus, we need you. Show us our great need for you. Lord, we are... Thankful that you are a God who works miracles and is still working miracles today, Lord. And the greatest miracle is you rose from the grave, defeating sin and death on our behalf. Lord, and you are still working to save sinners today. And I just pray that you um, would move among us, Lord, that you would grow us in the knowledge of who you are and your will for our life. Church, if you're willing, I ask that you would pray for yourself that the Lord would bring encouragement where encouragement is needed and conviction where conviction is needed. Lord, we love you. Help us to love you more. Lord, we trust you. Help us to trust you more. It's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen.
All right, Jonah 1, beginning in verse 1. It says, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying... So here we go in Jonah. It is written by someone. Um, we don't know who. I like to think that Jonah is the source of this information for whoever wrote it, but that's purely just conjecture on my part because that's one of the things that Bible scholars like to debate about. It's not really important for us to know or it'd be in here. But whoever wrote this book starts off with introducing us to this guy, Jonah, and that the Lord was speaking to him. The book of Jonah starts with excitement. God is speaking to one of the prophets of the people of Israel. What a privilege Jonah has. Not only is he a servant of God, but he is also the recipient of divine communication. It's important to keep in mind as the story develops that this is not the beginning of Jonah's ministry. As I pointed out in the introduction, he was a prophet during this time in Israel's history. And again, he has had some ministry success through his preaching because prophets spoke to the people on behalf of God through his preaching as we see in 2 Kings 14, the the. the Text tells us that King Jeroboam, while he was not a great king in, the, uh, in terms of following the Lord and leading the nation to follow the Lord, the Lord used Jonah's message, it would seem, to help the nation, and the borders of Israel had been fixed. And so Jonah knows the Lord. Jonah has seen the power of the Lord. Jonah has experienced the kindness of the Lord to restore the nation of Israel Jonah has witnessed the rescuing and redeeming power of God to the nation. So Jonah knows God to be Israel's protector and Israel's sustainer. And so it's likely when the text says that the word of the Lord came to Jonah, that Jonah is used to this. Jonah is used to hearing from God in this way. And look at what the Lord says, verse 2. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. God gives Jonah two commands. Arise. Get up. And the other one is go. Go to Nineveh. The commands that, that God gives Jonah don't mean that Jonah's just sitting around. But rather, God is expecting Jonah to go and go quickly. Jonah, get up, hurry up, get to Nineveh and preach against it. Call out against it. They are an evil city, a huge city, the capital of the most powerful nation on earth. So go and call out against it. Think about this calling. If you're familiar with Old Testament prophets, maybe you're not, that's okay. Jonah is somewhat unique among Old Testament prophets because most of the other Old Testament prophets had the luxury of prophesying from within the borders of Israel. So they could call out against Israel's enemies from the safety of Israel. God is asking Jonah to go right into enemy territory and call them out for their wickedness. Jonah's past experience with God, though, 
and his past experience with seeing God work in and through him should lead Jonah to confidence in who God is. It should lead him to confidence in the Lord. But look at what Jonah does, verse 3. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. God says, Jonah, go east to Nineveh. Jonah, on the other hand, makes plans to go as far west as physically possible. Nineveh is approximately 500 miles east of where Jonah was living. Tarshish, on the other hand, was on the coast of what is today Spain, some 2,000 miles from Jonah's home. And if you remember the story of Christopher Columbus, he sets out to discover new lands for the crown. Tarshish is likely, in, um, like Spain was in the time of the explorers, essentially the ends of the known earth. Jonah is trying to get as far away from God as he can. He's not trying to outrun just a ministry calling. He's trying to outrun God himself. He's trying to get away from God. Verse 3 tells us twice that Jonah is trying to get away from the presence of the Lord. Eric Redmond says Jonah isn't like a pastor running away from a ministry calling. He's more like a person not wanting to share the truth about Christ in an evil generation. Jonah is less like a pastor very few can identify with and more like a Christian who has experienced the grace of God to save and redeem their life who doesn't tell others about it. I think we can all relate to Jonah in this way. Because of our identities as Christians, we are called to be a faithful witness and we're called to be missionaries where we live, where we work, where we play. And most of the time, we would prefer to rebel against God's command instead of joining him in mission. Jonah is willfully and knowingly actively rebelling against the command of God. And not only that, in his attempt to flee to Tarshish, he's not just running from God's calling. He's completely rejecting God. Jonah gets to the seaport of Joppa and hops a ship to go to Tarshish. Don't lose sight of what's happening here. Jonah is making a statement. A bold proclamation. Jonah has heard from God. Jonah has heard directly from God in verse 1. And in the, the, what the text leads me to think is that he heard from God audibly, or at least through a vision, or if you're a Baptist in a dream, and he still flees. He emphatically declares he does not want to follow God in obedience. The Hebrew text highlights for us that this is rebellion to its fullest extent. Just as an aside real quick, I think as Christians, there are moments when we're faced with decisions and we'd really just wish that God would speak to us so we would know what to do. 
And I think the story of Jonah is a picture of the potential in us all. We like to think that if God would just speak to us, audibly speak to us, then it would be so much easier to follow him and know exactly what the right steps to take are. And I think the evidence in the Old Testament shows us that that is just not the case. Our hearts are so wicked and dead set on rebellion. Apart from the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives to lead us to faith in Jesus, we are all like Jonah. The story of Jonah's rebellion is all of our story. And here is where it starts, believers in Jesus in this room. If you are a believer in Jesus in this room, you have received salvation for the forgiveness of your sins. You have received the pardon from sin's penalty. You have been pardoned from your sins by Christ's death on the cross. Your rebellion has been dealt with by Jesus' death on the cross. Jonah has experienced the kindness of the Lord to him directly, and he still rebels. Jonah's rejection of God starts with a rejection of the word of God to him. And for us, when we're in sin, the same is true for us. When we are in sin, we're living in rejection of God himself. And God has revealed himself to us through his word. I don't think it's a stretch to say that if you're walking in willful, ongoing, unrepentant sin, you are probably not filling yourself up with the things of the Lord like prayer and scripture. And listen, this will not lead you to anywhere good. I mean, you can white-knuckle your way through life, or you can hide out in your sin, but that will only take you so far before it all comes crashing down around you in the form of exhaustion, in the form of fear, in the form of pride, or in the form of shame. And all of this is rooted in unbelief about who God is. Ongoing and consistent rebellion against the Lord will lead to rejection of the Lord. What we see in Jonah is not just the missional rejection, though that is significant, but ultimately it is a rejection of God himself. Jonah in his rebellion is at sea. And just so we're clear, God does not tolerate rebellion. He will always act, and he will always act swiftly. So let's look at this text. Look at verse 4. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God, and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. The text doesn't say how quickly the sea became rough, but it appears that it was fairly quickly. And this is not a uh, coincidental storm. The author of Jonah attributes this storm to a divine intervention of the Lord against Jonah's rebellion. 
the plans of the Lord will not be stopped. They won't be stopped by our rebellion and disobedience. So God is acting here in the form of a storm. The Hebrew text says that the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea. In other places in the Old Testament, this is a warlike phrase. A warrior hurls a spear into battle. This is the same phrase. So this is not just a little storm. Like any of you like to go to the lake, uh, boat people, um, this is not like you standing on the dock about to wakeboard thinking, yeah, it's a little choppy out here today. No, this is a beast of a storm. This storm will kill you. These are career sailors. The text says that they are afraid for their lives. These guys have been on boats their whole lives, and they're afraid. They begin calling out to their gods, but to no avail, because there is no God but God alone. These men who were afraid, they were dumping the cargo from the ship into the sea, just hoping against hope that they could save the ship and save their lives. And where is the prophet of God? Asleep. Jonah is so ambivalent and so oblivious to the goings-on that he is sleeping. Until he is, I imagine, frantically shaken awake by the captain. Verse 6. So the captain came to him and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give, you a, give, give a thought to us that we may not perish. Essentially, the captain is saying, Bro, how can you sleep at a time like this? And then in some dramatic dose of irony, he gives the same words from God to Jonah. Arise. Get up. Call out against the storm, just like you were supposed to call out against Nineveh. Call out against the storm. With every word from the captain, Jonah is being mocked. This pagan sea captain, though not knowing what he is really saying, seems to have more faith than one of Israel's prophets. This unbeliever sees the gravity of the situation while the prophet of the nation of God sleeps. So we're going to stop right here for today. We're going to see what becomes of these sailors and this rebellious prophet next week. But in the meantime, I want to focus on a couple of things here as we move towards our close together. This is just an introduction sermon to the book of Jonah, but there's a lot we can glean from these opening verses. First, let me say this. God takes sin seriously. God has made a command on our lives to live for him, to follow him in obedience, and we have rebelled against him. He has laid claim to our lives in love, and yet... We consistently reject this calling to follow him in loving submission to him. And because of this, we deserve death. We deserve separation. We deserve hell. We deserve to be cut off from God and all his gifts for all eternity. And yet, 
God did not see fit to leave us as we were. God himself came and died in order to pay for sin through the cross and through the resurrection of Jesus. Now the only appropriate response then is worship and adoration and devotion for the pardon of sin's penalty that Christ has purchased to us in love and to follow Jesus in obedience. And yet, we're still living in a sin-laden world and until we're perfected in Christ through our sanctification, you know, the process of getting and growing to be more like Christ. Until we're perfected in Christ, we will still sin and wander away from God and his perfect plan for our life. What this text shows us is that God is not ambivalent towards our sin. God's not ambivalent towards your sin. And God's not ambivalent towards you. Christian, God loves you so much because we're his, that he will always bring us back to him by whatever means necessary. In Jonah's case, it was a big giant storm. In our case, it may be a gentle nudge, or it could be a storm-like event in our own life. But keep in mind, the good father disciplines those whom he loves for holiness. Listen, if you're walking in sin, if you're walking in willful, ongoing, unrepented sin, it will destroy you. And it won't just destroy you, it will destroy everything around you. So confess and repent. Or you can wait until you're found out. But hear me, you will be found out if you are a Christian because God is that gracious you will get caught. Because if you are a Christian, God loves you and will not leave you as you are. Listen, God hates sin. God will not tolerate sin. It is God's grace on your life that we can repent Also, maybe you've been walking in sin, and maybe you've been found out, and it hurts. But my encouragement to you is not to run from that pain, but to lean into the process of being forgiven and restored, because this, too, is God's grace on your life. When the darkness is exposed by the light, when darkness is exposed by the light of truth, You can walk in freedom and walk in confidence that God has dealt with your sin and your shame by becoming sin for you on the cross. Jesus Christ has endured your penalty. Jesus Christ has endured your penalty on the cross. Knowing everything that you would do, he went to the cross to offer you forgiveness. Listen to me, the path of rebellion, the path of rebellion against God will never lead you to anywhere good. God's will is for us. God's will for us is fellowship with him, fellowship with the bride, the church. God's will for us is to delight in him and his good gifts to us. 
And God's will for us is to have purpose in him, to follow him in mission, and to reject God is to reject his good and perfect will for our lives. Secondly, the calling of Jonah is the calling on all of us to go. Perhaps the Lord isn't calling you to a foreign land. He may be, but the Lord is calling all of us to go. As a New Testament church, we have been given the great commission to go and make disciples of all nations. And God is calling Jonah to go into a foreign land, to a godless people, and proclaim the message of repentance and salvation. And we have the same calling. We have the same missional calling to go to the world around us. To invest relationally for the glory of God. With the mission of God in view. So this is not just a calling to like go overseas. This isn't even just a calling to talk to your neighbor about Jesus. Both of those things are important and necessary. And you should do these things, and you should look for opportunities. But this is also a calling to take an active role in telling your kids about Jesus. This is a calling to take an active role to fill yourselves up with the things of Christ so then you can pour out from a full cup. God is concerned about souls. God cares about men and women who are far away from him. And the vehicle that God uses to reach unbelieving people is Christians. And yet, sadly, sometimes we just don't don't pursue any of those things. Listen, if that's you, grace, grace, grace to you. Perhaps you're fearful of stepping into conversations where you don't have all the answers. I think that's real. But here is how you get to know the answers by spending time in the Word. Also, as Christians, we have the Holy Spirit who will bring to mind the things that we have been filling our lives up with in these situations. So, suffice it to say that if you are in the Word, the Lord will use the Word in your life as you seek out unbelievers with gospel intentionality. What we see in this book of Jonah is that God rebukes those who confine the saving grace of Jesus to himself. Because he is a God who saves sinners for his glory. So just consider what your life would be like had Jesus not intervened in your life. The Lord is calling you, Christian, just to, to more than just like a casual consumption of churchy things. The Lord is inviting you into faith and into belief in the resurrected Son. He's calling you to belief in Jesus. And he's calling you to join in mission with him. Let's pray.